Are you an Amazon seller looking to get your business back on track? Look no further than our guest this week, Leslie, the Amazon expert. As the co-founder of Riverbend Consulting, Leslie personally helps hundreds of sellers get their accounts and ASINs up and running again. We'll explain what an ASIN is for those people who are not Amazon educated. Uh, with almost a decade of experience as an Amazon seller herself and a team of experts at Riverbend, she is sure to have the answer to any question you may have. Plus, you wouldn't want tips from someone who not only runs a successful Amazon consulting business, but also has 20 and 14 year old kids who are already helping her with the heavy lifting. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So can you tell us, because uh, the thing is, I would like to establish who you are and your background and stuff like that. So if you could tell us about your background experiences that, that led to becoming an expert in the Amazon marketplace. Well, like a lot of other people in the Amazon world, it started out as a side hustle for me. And that is super common. I know sellers who it's still a side hustle for them after a decade. Um, so I have, as you mentioned, two boys. And at the time, many years ago, uh, my older son was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. And we were really wow. struggling. We could not figure out how to help this kid. He wasn't doing well in school. He didn't fit in. And so we decided, you know what? We need to homeschool him and just do tons of therapy. So I promise I'm getting to the point. So, so I was a consultant at the time, a traditional business consultant. And you can't really do that and homeschool a kid and do therapy all day, every day. And I learned about this cool thing. They had just started the Amazon FBA program, which is where you can ship all your inventory into an Amazon warehouse. They fulfill it for you, which makes it a great side hustle, right? Because you're not having to actually ship the orders every day. You source the inventory, you list it, and then you let it run and just make sure that everything is cool. Um, so we decided to try that out and it was so great for my family because i could really focus on the kid all day long and then nights and weekends i would source inventory and as a family we would pack and ship on the weekend uh, we would get it all ready to go to go to the ups store monday morning to go to the warehouse and i'll tell you it wasn't really fun because i didn't have very much downtime i was always doing something but it helped us pay for therapy, pay for living expenses. My husband had a full-time job, but you know, when you've got a kid like that, it, it adds up really fast, all of the, the therapy and the homeschool. Um, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity that Amazon gave me doing that. So then years pass, he actually goes back to regular school. We're so excited. And um, I thought, okay, what am I going to do with my time? And I had people start approaching me that I'd met at Amazon conferences and saying, I know you have this business consulting background. Amazon suspended my account, help. And so I started writing appeals for them to help them get back on Amazon. So I kind of put together the old career with the side hustle and turned it into this Amazon consulting thing. You know, what's uh, one side value to what you just said is uh, in involving your family to help you pack these packages and boxes to drive it to UPS, to get it shipped out. There's a lot, a ton of value in that. I mean, even when my kids were growing up at that time, I had a, a, a vitamin drop shipping business, but some of my client, my customers were overseas. So the drop shippers wouldn't take, take care of those things. And this was very early on before 
drop shipping became a thing, you know? So I would get all of those international orders and then my son or my daughter, I have twins, uh, at that time they would actually go and pack those orders with me. And I, I had a small warehouse that I was renting. So I, I did that and they, there's a valuable lesson in that so that the kids, otherwise how many kids get to learn to, you know, to do, to run a business that they know that their mom or dad is running and, and understand what's involved in packing and pay, that almost becomes a family routine, right? You do that on a Saturday morning, everything is done by Saturday afternoon, then you do your family activities. And then uh, Monday morning, uh, they see the, the, the SUV filled up with all these orders, uh, you know, and then you, uh, you drop them off at school and then you go and drop off the, the packages or vice versa at the UPS store. So it kind of becomes a routine thing for family. And I think it just brings the family together but more importantly, kids learn a lesson also, a valuable lesson. I, otherwise, they, other kids won't be able to experience that. I love that you had some of the same experiences with your kids. It's fantastic. They learn where money comes from, that it comes from work, and that you do have to sacrifice some of your free time. Uh, they learn how to have a job because you're saying you're responsible for X, Y, and Z, you know, you count the inventory, you sticker the inventory, you recount it when we put it in the boxes. Um, both my kids now know that they are still expected to contribute because it's how we pay for tuition. Uh, my, my, my Aspie, my autism kiddo, he's now a junior at the university of Houston. And wow, so, congratulations. Yeah, he's doing so awesome. It's very exciting. And so he comes home at Christmas and he merchant fulfills for me because during Christmas is when I merchant fulfills. We ship orders ourselves. And my uh, my younger one, he plays sports and y'all all know how time consuming that is. So getting a traditional job is really hard when you're a teenager, you're academically motivated and you play sports. This is his job. This is his way of contributing. Just last weekend, he unloaded so much inventory, counted, put in bins. It was crazy. Um, and it's, it's just really good for them to understand. And then they also have a piece of it. When that payment is made for that tuition, they know that they shared in that success. And then they also get some extra pocket money out of it, which is a bonus for everybody. Uh, definitely. So you start this uh, almost like a side hustle initially. That turns into a livelihood, right? It becomes kind of your career, right? And then from there, uh, you started, you, you were attending these, uh, you know, different events where people starting to get to know you now, right? And then it turns into this another side hustle, right? Which is, can you consult for me? My account is blo blocked. Can you help me unblock it, right? You go like, sure, I'll do it. How much would you charge? That's, that's always a challenge, right? Because you don't know, because you've never done this before, you know, for somebody else, you have done it for you. So uh, how, how does it go from there to becoming a, a legitimate consulting business? Now you go like, you know what? I actually have something here that I actually do for myself. I could be doing it for others and I, and I could be charging for it. When did that transition go from side hustle consulting gig, or like call it a fiver, right? Into actually becoming a, a legitimate business by itself, Riverbend Consulting. So I had a client who was referred to me by someone who I had met at a conference and then helped. I wasn't even, and just to throw this out there, I wasn't even going to conferences to get business. I was just going to meet Amazon sellers and learn more about Amazon. And it was all very organic. And I met someone who I helped to get reinstated, who sent me a friend of his. And so this guy calls me and he says, hey, my name's Joe Zalta. 
My account has been down for a few weeks. Um, I've tried to use another consultant that hasn't worked, heard great things about you. Please help me. And he was in such panic mode. He was one of those clients who's like all over you all the time. And, you know, like, I got to get this fixed, panicking, which I understand. Um, half of our business is almost like we're psychologists just trying to help you get through the day, right? I, I call it business therapy. Yes, we do a whole lot of that. But super nice guy. So I write him an appeal letter. Boom, reinstated the first letter. He's so happy. So like two weeks later, he calls me out of the blue. I'm like, oh my goodness, Joe, did your account go back down? It happens sometimes. And he said, no, you know what? I've been thinking about you a whole lot. And you have this service orientation. You know how to manage people from your past and build teams and you know operational stuff and SOPs. You're all about that. Because uh, we'd had some good conversations, learned about each other. And he said, I'm all sales. I'm all super strong in sales and a really good retail background. And I know a lot of Amazon sellers. We should do this as a business. And so about three months later, we launched our company. Um, we're a really great fit. He's just a super nice guy. Um, we have the same values. It's so exciting when you find someone who has the same underlying values in business, how they care about people, how they want to run things, how they want to live. Um, and so we've been together now five and a half years and grown to a team of more than 85 people. It's crazy because it was just four of us when we started. Um, but having finding that other person, I know a lot of folks don't love partnerships and I get why. Um, but for me, finding that other person who has that sales orientation, um, it was incredible and a real game changer because that's not my thing. I'm the consultant. I want to help. I want to be your friend. Uh, I don't want to get your credit card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, how, you know, you, you, you go on this journey, right? You take one step. It takes you somewhere. You take another step and you decide to help one person out. You don't know that helping that person out led you to a, a business partner potentially, you know, and, and then you move on to that. And, uh, you know, it, it's about kind of deciding to open doors. You know, you don't know what's behind that door. Just, just doing it without any expectation that there will be anything behind that door, but you're just opening it and, and going through it uh, and, and just experiencing these amazing things that are happening to you. Yes. And I'm, I am forever grateful because it has changed my life for the better. We've gotten to hire people who I've known people that I've worked with in the past. You know, there is, there are a few things better than getting to work with people from your past who you really enjoyed and loved being with and spending time with um, and built this team and created jobs and helped a whole lot of other sellers, which is really the most fun part of what we do, getting to problem solve and fix things that people felt were impossible um, we have clients who are on the phone with us crying. Uh, they are hysterical. They're anxious. Um, it's a really tough place to be where they are. And I understand why they're there. So now it's such a big opportunity we have every day to provide that kind of help to others. Uh, it's, I know it sounds very Pollyanna, but it really is the best part of it to get to win together with someone. You know, it's uh, some facts about that, right? A lot of the Amazon sellers are not professional brands. They are people like you and I, right? And and when we have those businesses, uh, it's possible that 100% of our revenue comes from Amazon, 100%, right? For some of the other ones that are a little bit more savvy, they might have 70% of it coming from Amazon, 30% of it coming from like Shopify, let's say, right? Uh, 
So if even if you had split that and 30% of it comes from your Shopify and you have a mortgage that depends on that revenue coming in and your profits coming in from your Amazon sales and then Amazon shuts you down, that that's your livelihood. <laughs> that's your livelihood. You're, you're, it's like your boss telling you that, oh, so oops, we're not going to give you a paycheck for 60 days, you know? Well, you're you're dead on. And we've had clients call us who the reason they hired us because they've been trying to fix it themselves. They hired us because they're about to have to lay off their brother or their mom. Um, I can't imagine a worse conversation than that of having to lay off your mother from jobs from a <laughs> Sorry, job. Mom. Um, yeah, too bad. I know you raised me, but I need to fire you now. Yes. And <laughs> and same thing with mortgages. We've had people who uh, were highly leveraged in their business. So then if the revenue stops coming in, they've got some real problems and then they cannot pay the bills at home. Um, it's, and even, you know, you mentioned with brands, uh, there are even brands, they have an entire group of people at the warehouse group of people at the office who only work on Amazon. So even if they've got other lines of income, you know, those work groups aren't threatened, but the Amazon group is sure threatened if they get shut down. So yeah, it's, um, it's it's not a pretty place to be. So let's go through, Leslie, let's go through some of the common challenges that uh, Amazon sellers face. And then they go like, oh, my God, Leslie, please help me. <laughs> what are what are some of those? Uh, I mean, I know a few myself because uh, that happens to me, too. Right. Mm -hmm. my, my challenges are a little different, you know, uh, than yours. But let's go through them. And then and I, I think we can just throw out quite a few of these uh, to the audience. So there are two main categories of suspensions on Amazon. Um, one is related to, you know what, I take that back. There are three, there's three. Uh, one is related to product quality. So that's usually based on a buyer complaint or multiple buyer complaints. So they're saying it was inauthentic. Uh, it was open. It was damaged. Uh, it wasn't what the listing detail page said that it was. It was used. It was dirty. Um, anything related to a product quality issue all the way up to the ugly word counterfeit. Um, the second category of reasons you can be suspended is breaking the rules. And Amazon, as a platform, they have their own very specific set of rules. And that's what makes it so challenging um, because it's not the same as selling on a Shopify store or selling on eBay or other platforms. They have a lot of specific guidance about uh, the kind of things that you can email to people, how you market your products, um, how you set up your listings. And a lot of those go all the way to treating other people unfairly, ripping off customers, you know, the really bad stuff. Uh, there's even money laundering that happens on Amazon, which you do definitely get suspended for that. And then the third category is what I would call performance issues. And performance issues are um, late shipping. It's, it's usually around merchant fulfilled. If you're shipping out your own stuff or you have a third party logistics company shipping for you. So it's, you shipped it late, you didn't ship it at all. Uh, you canceled orders that you had promised to send to people. Um, you didn't have valid tracking. So the kind of physical delivery issues, if you're the one doing it and not Amazon. Hmm. Well, what are some of the misconceptions about, about Amazon suspensions? You know, what could get an ASIN suspended or not suspended? So, the biggest misconception is actually a happy thing to know the reality, which is Amazon believes in second chances and they always have. Um, 
it's it's a little frustrating and upsetting. A lot of our clients they they hide the fact that they've ever had an Amazon problem. Um, like at a trade show, they wouldn't want to come talk to me like we're friends because they're embarrassed. <laughs> Not many, but a few, um, because there are people out there who think if you had a product suspended or your account suspended, you're a bad person. You did something evil and horrible, and it's almost like it was fraud. Well, that's not true. Um, you can make mistakes that you get you suspended. There can be false complaints from buyers. There can be black hat tactics from other sellers, um, and, and just bad business operations sometimes, which that doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you someone who made a mistake. But fortunately, Amazon does believe in second chances. So if you can show them how you're going to improve, what you're going to do differently, you admit the mistakes you made and correct them, they are very much willing to give you a second chance and sometimes a third or fourth chance. Um, there are sometimes ASINs that because they're in a challenging category, a challenging product type, they'll be taken down 10 times, a dozen times, 20 times um, over the years, and they still get reinstated. Uh, it's it's just working out the details to get you there. Yeah, I mean, especially uh, items related to like packaging from my experience, right? Like, let's say the lid comes off and, and the liquid is all over the place. I mean, or, or it's a glass jar and you didn't put it in a proper bubble wrap or something like that in order to safeguard it from spillage or breakage or anything like that. So those are the kinds of things that that's an ongoing thing for any company that does even D2C, forget about Amazon, right? So unless unless you are working towards that and then you can actually document it, from my experience, it has been that you literally have to document what changes did you apply, what what happened, and be very honest with it. Unless you are a dishonest person and you go like, oh, we made changes, you know, uh, please reinstate us. The, the thing is, the, the, what led you there is going to lead you there again. Like, you know, you have to address the problem. You cannot just, uh, you know, sweep it under the rug and assume that nothing happened. I, I liken that. And Leslie, I apologize for this analogy. It's like among guys when, you know, you're sitting in a closed room and one of your friends lets one out, right? That smell, that stink is not going anywhere. You have to open the windows. You have to open the door <laughs> to let, let it out. You have to do something. My point is doing something. You have to do something in order to make a, a, a considerable change for, for that product to not have that problem. That's Because the thing is, everything is so robotic, with, with especially with Amazon FBA. They, you, you cannot have a product that's going to even break the machinery they have or robotics they have because it spills all over it that causes a mess and stuff like that that's you just cost amazon probably a couple of a uh, few thousand dollars in, in damages and you're saying that you're you're fixed you're not fixed fix it you know uh that's what i face also by the way there are uh clients that come to me with serious problems go like okay then no amount of severe is going to fix that you need to go fix the product go fix the product thousand people told you that the lid keeps on coming off and your tomato sauce is all over the box from, especially because they bought it from Amazon, their t-shirts their and stuff that was in there is soaked in tomato sauce now, you know, fix that. That's, that's not something I do. You need to go and work with somebody with manufacturing background to get that fixed. I, I think that, um, and you're right. Like if you, if you're authentic and, and you're doing the right things and operationally you, you make that appeal, Amazon is very good about, you know, giving you that chance of, of making that change.
Now, not every time. Sometimes it's really hard. And I'll tell I'll be the first one to tell you sometimes we have to go back to Amazon multiple times, many bites of the apple, executive escalations, all these different strategies. But generally speaking, um, most people can get back pretty quickly. And you were so right with your analogy, because the other thing that doesn't work is blaming <laughs> it on your friend. Let so, me, don't repeat it. Don't repeat it, please. I'm not. Yeah, but, but blaming it on your friend doesn't work either, because that's what a lot of sellers do. Yeah, they blame they blame Amazon or they blame the customer. That doesn't work. Amazon doesn't want to hear that. They want you to take responsibility and admit what happened and then honestly say what you did to fix it. And you know, I talked about second chances, but you know when they don't give second chances or third chances is when you don't implement your plan of action. So you tell them, I'm going to um, do the, you know, the tomato sauce, uh, we are changing to a plastic bottle and we've done a drop test and we're gonna have this kind of bubble wrap or whatever the case may be. Then if they have more complaints and they do a bin check and find out you actually didn't do any of those things, um, they are not predisposed to letting you back on because they don't believe you. Uh, they really do depend on sellers to be honest and straightforward, even if it's admitting bad things. So let's go through, I, I love going through a specific kind of a case study that of a mm -hmm. seller that went through successfully uh, with you, went through that process to kind of navigate and overcome a suspension with Amazon. Great. So I have some really funny ones. Would you like to hear about the seller who listed grenades on Amazon? It's a thing. I, I, it might get my video, this episode suspended. So no, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want to be any accessory to any kind of terrorism or anything like that. Oh, no, 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 not that. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you a mistake that some people make and what this guy did and how we got it fixed. So um, there's this whole category of suspension type on Amazon called restricted products. And restricted products means you're oh, selling something good, yeah. that, it's not legal to sell or Amazon has said they don't want it on their platform. So for, know, for example, example, for example, Leslie, it's like CBD mm -hmm. products, cannabis, mm -hmm. even though they may be legal in your state, they don't allow you guns, tobacco, alcohol. I mean, those are the, the obvious ones, but there are, there are some categories that are not so obvious. Yes, absolutely. So there are a lot of folks out there who, um, have a drop shipping model. And that means they have a relationship with some kind of a wholesale or distribution company and they get orders on Amazon and then their, their drop shipping company, their, their dis distributor they work with fills the orders. Um, so when you have that relationship, your drop shipper um, sends you a catalog of all the inventory they have. So I had a client who uploaded the entire catalog of a sports and outdoors company that was also a supplier to the federal government, including the military, the ATF, all branches of government. Um, so if you find yourself in this position, it's really important to actually look and see what's in the catalog. You don't just upload it, the whole thing to Amazon. Well, he did, and so he uploaded all kinds of gun parts, um, he uploaded hand grenades uh, because, again, this this vendor sells to the feds. Um, so not only is there an issue here because it's illegal to sell hand grenades, but he obviously didn't have the licensing to sell 
hand grenades and people on Amazon aren't allowed to purchase hand grenades, but the whole catalog just went up as is. Um, needless to say, Amazon suspended him. But the more shocking part is we got him reinstated. And it's by doing exactly what you talked about with the honesty and saying, wow, um, we were really dumb because we just uploaded this catalog as is. Here are all the vetting procedures we have in the future. This is how we make sure it never happens again. Um, here's our new flat file that we've created with all of our products that are all not restricted products. Um, and they were, they were reinstated. That one did take a few rounds. Um, oh, haha, rounds. Uh, that one did take a few <laughs> rounds. Um, and it did take a couple of weeks, but frankly, that is one. I love to tell that story because that's one when he came in, I thought there's no way we're getting this guy back up. I was wrong. No. I mean, the lucky for him, it was just Amazon that had an issue with this, right? Uh, I don't know if did, did the did the listings go live? They were live, but nobody ordered anything. Thank God. Yeah, I mean, if if anyone in any of the agencies that do drug enforcement or firearms or anything like that, he would have had a much bigger problem than just selling on Amazon. Oh yes, he could have ended up in prison <laughs> if the, <laughs> if any of those orders have been. And, and I'm sure that the. Um, well, I'm not sure, but I'm hopeful that his vendor would not have actually shipped to those orders uh, also, because I'm sure they have restrictions on who they ship to, but yeah, still so dangerous and scary. Yeah. Yes, very bad. All right. Any other ones? Okay, I've got another really good one. Um, and this one's good because of the size of the business. Did you know there are sellers who do a billion dollars a year only on Amazon? Because wow. that's a lot of sales. And yeah. I've been very fortunate to work with a few of them. Um, and I had one who, uh, my phone rang while I was sitting at a peewee football game on a Saturday and I didn't recognize the number, but for some reason I answered and it was someone saying, Hey, my lawyer referred me to you and I'm <laughs> desperate and and he could hear all the cheering and he's like oh no you're at a kid's game i'm sorry i'm like no no all good so we set up a call for sunday morning to find out that this very large company that had thousands of listings had been suspended for variation abuse and variation wow. abuse remember earlier i said there are rules on amazon that are very amazon-y rules that no other platform would care about but they do mm. um and you can easily run afoul. So what was really ugly about this one, variation abuse is where you pull up a listing detail page like we all have on Amazon. And you know, if you're looking for a blue shirt, you might pull up a blue shirt and then there's these tiny icons. There's one for a red shirt, a yellow shirt, a green shirt, and then they have it in all the different sizes. Well, those are allowed variations. You can have variations for size and color and quantity in any category. Unfortunately, um, some of the products that these folks were selling, there were small sellers selling them also who had added bad variations. So they'd added variations, for example, to a candle where it would say color and then it would say cinnamon because really they were misusing Amazon's variation properties to have all the scents instead of the color. Well, even though this enormous seller had not done this, um, they had brand registry on these brands. So Amazon held them responsible and shut them down. And mm -hmm. they had already been appealing, I believe, for four or five days. 
And I don't think they'd even gotten responses, if I'm remembering correctly, which is very frustrating. You would think when you're massive, Amazon would respond quickly to your appeals sometimes, but not always. Um, So that one, I believe it took three rounds and we got them back up on the third appeal. Uh, But, you know, when you have someone of that size, the level of intensity, there is no sleeping until that is fixed. Yeah, it's not it's not like they shut down just that one listing. They just shut down your one billion dollar business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one billion. And all the brands that you manage online. Yeah. Lots of brands. So there were brands involved in this that weren't even the brands with the bad variations, right? They were just innocent bystanders and they're all taken down as well. So very, so, uh, very unpleasant. So Leslie, there are some dirty tricks. Right. There are some dirty tricks that some uh, shady sellers do right to damage other uh, they d- damage brands, they damage their competition online. And there is no way for Amazon to kind of police that. So if they get, get do that, th- then you're accused of doing something wrong, even though you didn't. In that example, they didn't do anything wrong. It was some there was a small seller that did that and they, they got falsely accused of that. And there goes your one billion dollar business, you know, that that's in jeopardy now. Uh, you know, what, what is the, um, so how do you assist sellers in that kind of scenario that if you, that this product, like, let's say I, I made this product, right. And it's magical product, some sort of, it does something that no, no other product does in this category. So I'm a threat to that category. Right. And, and, uh, somebody says, oh, you know what, I, I I'm in, I'm top 10 seller on this platform with my product. I'm going to cause damage to that product because I don't want it to succeed. I want to keep on, let it keep on failing, right? Dirty tricks, right? I'll, I'll leave it to that. I, w- I won't say how you can do it. So I'm not going right. to. Uh, so if they're falsely accused of, let's say, fraud or, or even customer complaints, fake reviews, any of those kinds of things, there are, that there are a variety of them and there are many. There's a whole book that could be written on how to destroy an Amazon business, you know? uh destroyed in a bad way so how do you assist the sellers in that kind of scenario that get caught up in that kind of a mess and it's not their fault so there's offense and there is defense so first let's talk about offense um which is really solid uh proactive management of your business so in my example earlier of the very large seller they did not have anyone internally auditing their catalog and looking for violations when we actually went through the entire catalog looking for violations at 2 a.m and 3 a.m and 4 a.m um we found a lot more than the than the violations that amazon had pointed out um and those weren't those weren't necessarily in the category of dirty tricks, but it's still the same idea. Uh, You can't allow listings to be manipulated that you're on the brand registry or they're your private label products and not do anything about them. And there are sellers that they're busy people and they literally don't go look at their listing detail pages very often. So part of it is being on the offense, having SOPs, standard operating procedures in place, where you've got human beings putting uh, their eyes on your catalog, checking for any weird sales spikes you can't explain. Um, That is a dirty trick that happens where someone will drive a lot of traffic to your listing to try and make it look like you're being manipulative on your listing. Um, And so if you've got a sales spike, you just don't understand, you do have to look into that. So the first part is being really proactive about understanding what's going on the account. Um, Then there's the second part, which is 
for example, someone looks at their listings on a Monday morning and over the weekend, they suddenly have a thousand extra reviews. So they know those came from a click farm somewhere overseas, likely. Right. Um, and that's problematic. That can get you suspended because you look like you bought reviews, but you didn't buy reviews or all of a sudden all your reviews are downvoted. Um, it is important to understand where you stand at any point in time, because we do help sellers to report violations, especially if they are repetitive violations against their listings and their products. So as soon as you think someone is out to get you, and just because, what, what's the saying? Just because someone calls you paranoid, it doesn't mean they're not really out to get you or something like that. Um, <laughs> Sometimes they are. There are certain categories in Amazon that are really rough. Uh, supplements, whoo, uh, so dirty as a category. Not everybody, but there's a lot of bad guys in that category. Electronics has a lot of bad guys too. Um, if you're in one of those categories- By the way, Leslie, history lesson. I actually mm -hmm. helped launch as a third-party brand. I helped launch the, the health and beauty section of Amazon. Did That's you? That's in my history, yeah. Ah! <laughs> And that was the vitamin shop at that time that that uh, I, I helped launch on on Amazon to have a third party category launch like that. This was a long time wow. ago, more than 20 years ago. Yeah. But I know yeah. what you're talking about, because I've run a lot of supplement brands. There mm -hmm. are a lot of shady characters in that in that category. Totally. There are. There's a lot of private label supplements out there and a lot of people play very fast and loose with the rules, lots of attacks. So it's super important to build a database of any evidence you have of anything. Um, someone sends you something dirty through buyer seller messaging, you need to report it and you need to report it right then. Um, if someone tries to get you to collude on pricing, you cannot respond in any way. You just need to screenshot that puppy and report it to Amazon. There is a screen under the help in Amazon for report a violation. And then for things that are more difficult, um, and like you said, I don't want to say anything that tells you how to take someone down, but a lot of it's around review manipulation and getting a whole bunch of reviews, even positive ones, but a whole bunch at one time. Um, and you start to see this flood of reviews. Uh, you have to start like tracking all of the data that you have around how many reviews do I have now? Why do I all of a sudden have this many? So that you can even show Amazon, look, this flood happened and I didn't do anything. Um, it's really hard to prove a negative. So if you see anything hinky, you've got to document the heck out of it and then choose a time to reach out and say, you know, Houston, we have a problem. I'm concerned. Even just getting it on the record in your selling account of saying, we're super concerned. Here's the precautions we've taken. If God forbid the account were suspended, you can remind them and say, if you look back in the account notes, case ID, blah, 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 blah. I brought this to you. Mm -hmm. I, to I told y'all that this was happening. And unfortunately, I, I don't have any additional information, but I'm telling you that's what happened. And here's my plan of action that we're working on working through right now. So it's, it's really to raise the flag quickly. If you see any kind of weird orders, weird attacks, part of this is doing things like reviewing your returns report. You might have a huge spike in FBA returns you don't even know about. Um, because a lot of people don't pay attention to their return rate or their FBA returns. Um, and that can be orders placed to bad addresses, for example. Uh, and, and that is 
a tactic to make it look like you're trying to inflate inflate your bestseller rank. Um, so a lot of it is just flat out running reports, looking at the account and seeing if there's anything that looks out of line. Yeah, that's, that's very good advice. Uh, one of the things uh, I shared this with you when you and I were uh, having an exploratory discussion for this interview, right? Uh, I, I published an article in uh, Harvard Business Review called Should Your Company Sell on Amazon? Uh, it was published in September, October of 2022. So if you go on hbr.org, you can you can put my name down or you can type that title of that article. It will come up. So the next question I want to ask you is, let's say you decided to, you are going to sell, right? So 1P selling or 3P selling? First, let's define what those two things are. Is it 1P selling or 3P selling? Uh, and then what are the pros and cons of those uh, for, for each one of those camps? So 3P selling means third-party selling, and that is where um, you're on Amazon Seller Central, and that is where you are really more in control of things going on at Amazon. So with a third-party seller, you go in and set up the account, and you decide what products to list at what price, whether you're going to fulfill the orders yourself or through a 3PL, third-party logistics provider, or using Amazon's Fulfilled by Amazon service where you ship it to their warehouse. Um, everything is really up to you. If you merchant fulfill, you're doing the customer service as well. Um, on the other hand, 1P, first party, is what you think of as like the folks who are supplying a Target store, right? They're shipping the pallets of product to Target and Target is putting them into their stores. Well, Amazon does the exact same thing. So about one third of products on Amazon are sold by 1P, which is Amazon directly sourcing product. And when you look at the detail page, it'll say ships from Amazon sold by Amazon. Um, if it's sold by a third party, it'll say um, sold by and that third party seller name. And then if it's shipped by Amazon, you know, it's FBA. And if it's shipped by that third-party seller, you know that they're they're doing merchant fulfilled. Um, so I have a very strong bias toward third-party selling. And I'll tell you why. Um, it's really about control. If you are a vendor to Amazon, they decide, they give you purchase orders for your products. And if they decide not to sell one of your products, um, you may never be able to offer that product on Amazon again, even if it's your best seller. And that can happen because of technology issues with Amazon. Uh, for example, um, Walmart runs a big sale on the same product that you supply to Amazon. And so Amazon matches their price. And after seven days, Walmart raises their price, but Amazon doesn't. They fail to raise the price back. So then all of a sudden they decide that product's not profitable and they stop giving you purchase orders. And you are tilting at windmills to try and get them to give you a purchase order. Another example is they may not be interested in your new product launches. Um, which is very frustrating for brands that want to do a launch on Amazon. Um, there are times, oh, and, and, and most important for many people is margins. Um, margins pressure is very real on 1P. They drive a very hard bargain. They have lots of fees. Um, they have a co-op fee for marketing. They have damage fees. They have transportation fees. And then um, they will really squeeze you 
when it's time to negotiate for the next year, it can get really rough. And once you're in 1P, Amazon wants it to be like the Hotel California. You can never leave. Um, you can, uh, but it's difficult to get out and get yourself over on 3P. Uh, where 1P does make sense, though, is for very large, heavy stuff. So if you're selling baby cribs, uh, furniture, um, anything that is super heavy, even if it comes in a box that you can pick up, but it's like a 30 pound box, usually Amazon litter, is good. Dog, dog litter, foods, you know, like pet Canned food dog food. Are huge, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, giant pallets of water. Um, yeah. All of that is going to make sense as 1P. And the reason is that the fulfillment fees for FBA and the shipping shipping fees, whether you do FBA or you ship through 3PL or whatever, uh, you're never going to be able to negotiate the shipping Amazon can. And their fees, if it's FBA, are through the roof on storage because everything is by the size of the product. Um, their pick and pack is also by the size of the product. And it's understandable. Uh, you're taking up a lot of warehouse space and it takes multiple people to handle your orders. So if you're selling something big, uh, 1P is probably the way to go. But if you want to control your brand, your pricing, your selection, your rollout, it really makes sense, in my opinion, to invest in the infrastructure you need for a third-party selling business. So one one other thing I do want to enhance that conversation, uh, that, that, that um, scenario, when there is a margin squeeze, uh, as a business, you may say that, oh, you know what, the, the price is at this level. Let's run through the inventory as quickly as we can so we can get another PO. Amazon is not dumb. They actually uh, have another parameter around uh, your advertising account. They actually shut it down. <laughs> so, so even if you want to run up very quickly because you want to advertise this incredible price that you have, that because there's a margin squeeze, they would shut down the advertisement on that product so that you won't be able to speed up the loss, you know. I'm actually shocked by how intelligent some of Amazon's AI is when it comes to the catalog and to finding things around pricing and um, and velocity. Uh, how, we've had people who lost their vendor account because they did family friend orders. They got people to order the product. Um, it's fascinating to me that you can literally have people all over the country who don't share your name, don't share your address, don't share your bank account, and you get them to place orders. They seem like random people and Amazon finds them and figures it out and shuts them down because the velocity shift was too much. They looked into the orders. Maybe some of these people were annoyed and so they did returns and the return rate got weird. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to fool Amazon. It. You know, people do unfortunately fool Amazon. You know, there are bad guys out there that get away with stuff. Um, but a lot of us regular everyday people who aren't good at being bad guys get caught really quick. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you believe is the kind of the future of the Amazon marketplace for sellers? Oh, such a great question. And really difficult right now because the landscape has changed so much from pre-COVID to COVID. Um, now, you know, Amazon has laid off a bunch of people. They're reshuffling. Um, They're <laughs> they changing their focus on some of their business units. They're allegedly not going to offer as many of their own private label products, which has been a real problem for third-party sellers who felt like their designs or their marketing were being copied. Um, so it's 
it's been a it's been a wild ride the last few years. I I still very solidly believe though that Amazon they've got a jump on everyone else, and uh, it's really shown in some of Walmart's numbers. Walmart has invested so much, and they're trying so hard. And actually, many of their ideas have been excellent. I personally think like the implementation of some of it has been excellent. Um, some of their regional distribution and where you can ship product out of their fulfillment centers. They have so many great ideas and they still in the numbers aren't making a dent, a, a big dent in Amazon. Amazon has created this, this juggernaut with the hundreds of millions of prime subscribers and so to me, as a third-party seller, it is still the place you want to be. You're never going to be able to spend the advertising on Shopify site that you would need to draw the traffic um, that you would get from the same kind of, of uh, PPC advertising, pay-per-click advertising over on the Amazon platform. Um, so what's interesting also, I think with a lot of the layoffs at Amazon and the financial pressures that they are facing as they slim down some of their own product lines, for example, they make a lot of money off of third-party sellers. Um, I don't think people even realize how much it is that they make off of third-party sellers, not just the, they make a commission on the sale of the product, um, but if you store your stuff in their warehouses, there are fees associated with that. There's all the, their PPC advertising is just a cash cow for them. They make so much money off of sellers advertising products. It's obscene. Um, there's all of these revenue streams attached to third-party sellers that are not attached to 1P. And where does Amazon spend more time and effort? They're going to spend more time, effort, and capital managing their 1P operation, where they're actually responsible for the product and placing the purchase orders and taking the losses. Uh, they don't take a loss on anything 3P in their warehouse. <laughs> yeah. And so... To me, I would not be surprised to see the percentage of goods sold on the Amazon platform go from around 62% um, third-party to 70% third-party in the next couple of years. Because financially speaking, I think it makes more sense for Amazon. Um, and, and they know that they can, you skim a couple cents here and a couple cents there off of every single product that goes through your warehouse. Whoo! All of a sudden, that's a lot of money. And, and once again, they're not losing money. They lose money on stuff that they place purchase orders for that they can't move and get rid of. So I think it's uh, Amazon is still a great place for sellers to be. Um, it is competitive. It's hard. It takes a lot of effort. It is not set it and forget it. Um, but, but for the future of e-commerce the next several years, um, if you're not on Amazon, you're missing out on revenue. I mean, there are certain, just I'll, I want to make a couple of comments. Uh, there are certain categories, I think, from a future standpoint uh, that are currently being debated, uh, hemp, CBD being one of those categories. Uh, I, I think that that's a tremendous opportunity. There are other categories that I know that Amazon is playing in, but not much public knows about it. Uh, things like Amazon Home, you know, where you can... Mm -hmm. To, to become a, a competitor of Wayfair, for example, right? So th that there's a whole unit of category to be competitive against the largest furniture companies in the world, you know? Uh, so there are, I think, opportunities like that that uh, 
uh, downloadable and and digital products, uh, not just books and music. You know, other other types of downloadable digital products, subscription products, and stuff like that. I think uh, it's it's a huge opportunity uh, from from uh, from that perspective. But one thing that occurred to me when when you were saying what you were saying earlier uh, about about all this cash. I believe that Amazon is one of the biggest banks in the world. The amount of cash that they're holding interest-free between the time the order was placed by consumer to the time it clears the bank to go to the seller's bank, that period of hold is free cash, free cash, interest-free. And there's a float. So if you're an old seller like me, that I've been selling for a long time, I don't have a reserve on my account. So I, every two weeks I get a full disbursement and my balance goes to zero. Um, if you've opened an account in the last five to seven years, you most likely don't have that. So in addition to the float for you know the day one sale being held till day 14, there's an additional 10 days or so worth of, uh, of money that they are always holding as a balance in your account. And you know what you mentioned is a huge point of contention for people who've been suspended from the platform because sometimes Amazon permanently holds your funds for certain suspensions. And where does the money go? I mean, I've got people who Amazon's been holding their money for two years. Um, yeah, it's they're not, not like a, an escrow, it's just Amazon is using it. <laughs> Right. And they're not a government agency. You weren't convicted of a crime uh, yeah. and they're not a they're not a bank. They're not a fiduciary, but they're acting like a fiduciary. Right. Because if a fiduciary like a bank thinks that you are laundering money, then they hold your money and then they contact the feds. Well, in this case, they could say, we think your stuff's counterfeit. And you're like, it's not. It's not. And they're like, we think it is. And they hold your funds. But, you know, they don't they don't contact the Fed. I don't know if they even destroy your inventory like they say they do. It, I don't know where yeah. it goes. but <laughs> So, yeah, uh, actually, it's interesting. They are a huge bank. You're absolutely right. I, I think one of the largest ones. I, like, I think in that sense, like they beat out like Starbucks with their gift cards, you know, or, or the money you hold in your app or Dunkin' Donuts, you know. Uh, people don't realize for their coffee or donuts that the money they're putting into that app is mm -hmm. sitting there free and clear, you know, for the company to what? use. Because you know, right, Amazon, has, Amazon has gift cards too, right? Yeah. On top of that, Amazon has gift cards too. And I would bet you the average gift card purchase, like gift card amount in Amazon is bigger than it is for like a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts. And I've seen yeah. those articles about Starbucks float on that. So think yeah. how much of that is just on gift cards for, oh, you're making my head explode. <laughs> well, you know, when, when it comes to, because uh, I've been asked this question so many times about Walmart. Well, you know, Walmart is going to go and get Amazon. The thing is, Amazon had a 20-year lead. And especially with the marketplace, very recently, Walmart started to open up the third-party selling marketplaces about, I would say, two years ago. Even though they were beta testing it for like eight years. I don't know what was being beta tested, but, but it took about eight to 10 years with beta testing with very few brands and, and sellers to now opening it up so that anybody could open up their third-party selling account on Walmart, I don't know what's going on with with Target yet, you know, um, but uh, and and then in that journey, Walmart went and purchased Jet.com, right? With it came a phenomenal guy, by the way, phenomenal guy. He's he's one of the best executioners that I know, right? But the thing is, time plays a huge role. If if your competition had had that sort of a lead time, 
And you're absolutely right. Uh, what is it? It's like 70, 72% of American household is a prime member. It's a gigantic number, right? And, and Amazon's model is based more on frequency. So the more frequently you buy from them, because you say, oh, you know what? I paid for my prime membership. I'm going to use it, right? No free shipping, right? I want to just keep on using it. Plus all the other benefits, prime video, music, all that other stuff. But the thing is, the more tangible stuff is when I place my order, I get it same day, next day, or within two, three days, right? So if you have that sort of a stranglehold on the on, on the market, on a consumer market, it doesn't matter if your prices are better, if your prices, because you don't have that sort of, a, uh, you know, that mindset from the consumer's perspective. When I place an order on Amazon, I'm going to get it either today, tomorrow, or day after tomorrow. When I place my order on Walmart, I don't know because that has not been established yet in my consumer mind yet. And with, with I, agree. I agree. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. When I've when I've ordered stuff from Walmart, I've actually had ridiculously fast delivery time. But in my mind, I'm still not there for like I can rely on this. It's gonna be there. And you know what what Walmart's advantage always has, or what they've pushed or sold above Amazon is low price leader. And really, if you go into a Walmart and you scan a product on your Amazon app, uh, Amazon's going to be the same price or lower almost every time, uh, unless it's some specialty good that's hard to hard to get. So I think Walmart's lost because Amazon has gotten really aggressive with trying to be low price leader, family friendly. Now, what's interesting, you mentioned Target. Target is interesting because Target focuses on it's not really quality. It's like a feeling about their products. You know, a lot of their housewares, even some of their private label food items, they're kind of specialty feeling and a little bit higher end feeling. Um, I think they're really pushing that. I don't think though that their offering is big enough or ubiquitous enough to take a big bite out of Amazon. I think it's more likely to take a bite out of Walmart. Um, also, Target has a program called Target Plus, and that is for people who want to be like, you know, third-party sellers um, fulfilling orders over on Target. If you weren't invited to their vendor program, it is really small. It's currently closed. It's hard to get into. Um, so I think they are really, really trying to control quality there. They don't want to just be like Amazon 3P where you let everybody in and it'll all work itself out. Um, so I think that their selectivity um, it may be very positive experience for some of their shoppers, definitely. Um, but at the same time, it's going to prevent them from competing on price or selection um, against an Amazon. You're not going to go over there and just find like whatever your heart desires. It's just not going to be there. Since, since you do this on a full-time basis, right? What, what is that one, do you think, uh, policy or practice that uh, if, if, Jeff Bezos called you, go like, Leslie, what do you want me to change? Right? Uh, what is that one thing you would, would want to change at Amazon as far as policy or practice goes from your experience? So I think the lowest hanging fruit right now um, would be to actually go back to a model they had many years ago where large sellers and brands on the three-piece side had a dedicated account manager type person who issues would be escalated to. 
Um, right now, if you have a problem on Amazon, whether it's a small problem that you reach out to seller support or a big problem, like your account is suspended, um, unless you're part of a very exclusive, expensive program that you can pay a monthly fee to be in, uh, you get a random answer from a random associate. So for example, if you're with or without experience. I, <laughs> and who knows? So if you get suspended and, and, you know, you bring up such a great point, think about my billion dollar seller from earlier. Um, when they were suspended, they submitted their appeal through the portal on seller central, which is where you manage your account. And it wasn't escalated to some team that handles large sellers or understands the complexities of a very large business. It just went into the queue it went into a random seller performance investigator who could be any team anywhere around the world with any level of experience. And that is crazy to me. Also, what's frustrating is if you reopen a case or you have to appeal again, it goes to another random person. It never goes to the same human or even a small Continuity. queue like a pod. I know going to the same person isn't feasible because no one works 24 seven, but you could have a pod of people. Um, that's what we do at our business with cases. Every case that we work for someone is assigned to one consultant, but they have a small group with a lead. And so if they're out on vacation or they're sick, um, that group of people is familiar with their cases. They know what they're working on. They also have similar skills and capabilities. And none of that exists at Amazon. At Amazon, it's actually a value. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how they express it exactly, but that they rotate people out of departments. So when you get really, really good in one department, then they take you out and stick you somewhere else. Um, and that creates a real lack of institutional knowledge and then that shows up in these really bad experiences for sellers. And, and what I think they're missing out on is it increases the number of contacts at Amazon. It actually makes it much more expensive for them to manage these issues and problems when someone new is looking every time or they're just kicking back a case because they don't understand it instead of having a team that's actually addressing. So some kind of way of filtering things, even if it's just for a portion of sellers or brands would be a huge improvement. So given all of this rich knowledge that you just shared with the audience, right? What is your number one hundred thousand dollar expert insight advice into like having a painless or pain-free <laughs> selling experience on, on the Amazon marketplace? Oh my goodness. So I don't want to sound self-serving. So y'all are just going to have to trust that I'm someone who is a straight shooter. You really can't assume you know all the things to run a successful account, even if you're really smart and have a lot of experience. Um, and I'll give you an example. I've been selling on Amazon since 2010. Uh, I have a VA on my team who does my reimbursements. That's where Amazon loses your inventory. Um, and then they don't reimburse you and you have to file a case to get reimbursed. Um, the accounting behind that is difficult. If I did it, we'd get back a fraction of what we get compared to my VA doing it, right? Then there's PPC advertising. There's a lot of folks out there who specialize in this and they're great at it. There's keyword research. Seems like you should be able to do your own keyword research. Oh my goodness, there's so many, so many questions, if, ands, buts, what's, 
Um, I'm not saying go out and spend billions of dollars on every single specialty out there, but pick a couple of things that you can improve in your account and go find an expert, find someone who can really walk you through it, explain it to you. If you want to learn it yourself from that expert and take it over, do it, but don't assume, you know, because Amazon changes so fast, um, that nobody knows all the things, no one. Definitely. Well said. And Leslie, it has been such an incredible pleasure having you on the show. And thank you for sharing all of those finer points, as well as all the all the case studies and challenges and specific examples. Really lovely having you on the show. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, thank you, audience, for tuning in. Uh, I have we have actually a, a ton of amazing guests coming on uh, on uh, this season. So please keep keep tuning in and keep on devouring all this incredible knowledge from our amazing guests. Uh, so until next time, thank you again, and, and we'll see you again soon.